Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pensions Expert podcast. This week we will be talking about the High Court ruling which deemed the Pension Protection Fund cap discriminatory, how super funds have received a green light from the pensions regulator, and if trustees can finally breathe a sigh of relief with the latest changes to the new insolvency bill. I'm Maria Espadinha, Deputy Editor at Pensions Expert, and joining me are Sarah Prothero, Chief Customer Officer at TPPF, and Ian Neal, Director at Ares Insight. I'll start with you, Ian. Why is this ruling from the High Court so important, and what will it be its effect on uh, PPF members? Okay, well, I suppose the first thing to say is that it only affects a tiny minority of PPF members. Uh, but briefly, the court has decided the compensation cap, which is applied to members who were under normal pension age when the scheme entered assessment, uh, is discriminatory on, on age grounds. Uh, and so uh, the unresolved question, of course, is whether the reduction to 90%, which applies across the board to members who uh, had not yet reached normal pension age, is also a discrimination. That was a question which was not considered in the judgment. But given the general drift of recent cases concerning age discrimination, or recently the, the Abrogates case as well, there must be a distinct possibility that a further case is prosecuted. Um, but for now, what can we expect as the government needs to intervene? Because this is set by legislation, right, uh, Sarah, I ask you. As you would expect, we're studying this judgment extremely carefully and working closely with DWP because, as you say, they're ultimately responsible for the levels of compensation that we provide to our members. For now, we'll be continuing to pay members their current level of benefits and we'll make a further announcement as soon as we can about our future plans. As Ian mentioned, uh, it's relatively few members actually who will be affected by this judgment. Back in February, we noted that there were just about 600 members in payment who currently are capped, and that's out of the 250,000 PPF members that we have. So this issue affects a, a relatively small number of people. Ian has also brought up the question of the 90% payment to those below normal pension age. As he says, that was not a question posed to the court, and so there's no ruling on that at this time. But the judge did actually mention the point in his discussion before he reached his ruling, and he did say that in his view, it would be open to Parliament to decide that it's an appropriate and necessary way to manage moral hazard and cost concerns to pay 90%. So he did make a comment on the point, but he didn't rule on it. That's absolutely right. And as Ian said, can this then be open to another court case and this to be pursued in courts or you expect, I know you cannot say a lot about what you expect, but uh, would common sense rule that it would be to parliament to decide? It's very much to, to Parliament decide. There could be another court case, but for now we will be paying members the level of benefits that we're required to under the Pensions Act. One of the other things that I noticed in the ruling is that it will only go six years back 
which means I would ask, does that make a lot of things easier? That means that you don't have to go that many years back. It will reduce the cost impact of the judgment, although that cost impact is probably not tremendously large in the context of PPF's liabilities as a whole. Again, back in February, we estimated that this would have less than a 1% impact on our liabilities. So it's probably more of an administrative concern ultimately than, than a financial one, I would say. Thank you. Ian, uh, were you surprised with the ruling or were you, in the back of your mind, did you think about this could be a case of age discrimination? It wasn't really a surprise to me, given, as I mentioned earlier, the general drift of feeling in the courts uh, regarding age discrimination. But on the other hand, as uh, Sarah has pointed out, not only is the number of people affected tiny, but the overall impact on the PPF is PPS finances is probably going to be fairly modest, I would imagine, in complete contrast potentially to the impact of the Ballard judgment. I imagine that that's a much bigger concern for the BPF because of the difficulties involved in actually measuring the impact of Ballard. Mm-hmm. If I remember the last time uh, I spoke to Sarah about the power judgment, it's one that you are in discussions with EWP and there's one that is much out of your hands in, as it, you need the data from DWP to help you in that case, right? Exactly. We continue to work with them on power, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ian, one last question on this topic is, is this one of those cases as, for example, we talk about GMPs in the private sector, where the administrative work that schemes, in this case, the PPF will have to do, it's much larger than the benefits the members will receive? No, I don't really think so, Maria, because it seems to me that for members who are affected by this judgment, such as Mr Hughes, who is the lead claimant, um, the effect on his particular benefits will be very substantial indeed. And as we've already noted, the number of people whom the PPF potentially will have to reassess is really very modest and I would say perfectly containable. Whereas within the case of GMPs, you've got a a massive, massive impact on schemes with hundreds of thousands and probably across the board millions of members having to have their benefits assessed. And in the vast majority of cases, the actual impact on their benefits uh, will be really almost nugatory, certainly trivial. I understand. And passing on to the next subject, which is about super funds. They received a green light from the pensions regulator on June 18 with a new interim regime for them to be able to start working. Sarah, I I imagine that this is a subject that you at the PPF are watching closely as these schemes might end up at the PPF if things don't go well. We welcome the government's plans to legislate in this area, but in advance of that, in the interim, we fully support the regulator setting out clear expectations to protect both us and our members and our our levy payers. We see the benefits for members that may arise from having consolidators in the market. We support market innovation, but we're glad that there will be mitigations in place to manage the risk to PPF and to levy payers. Ian, what's your view on this interim regime? It seems to me that the regulator is trying to strike a very fine balance between member protection and the cost of member protection. 
slightly surprising to see guidance being released in advance of the legislation. Normally, it's the other way around, and guidance follows. But it seems that with the delays caused by the, by the pandemic and the production of new legislation and the lack of any provision in the pension schemes bill currently before Parliament, and the uncertainties created by the pandemic for potential corporate insolvency, the regulator probably decided that they had to get on and do something. The big question probably remains as to whether the plants are actually going to be robust enough. Now, the ABI continues to oppose the Superfund idea. Well, certainly as far as the capital adequacy requirements are concerned, the ABI appears to believe that basically the Solvency II rules should apply equally to super funds as they do to insurers. And when that was first proposed back in 2011, I think, uh, there was an absolute horror reaction across the industry because of the huge impact on, on funding for defined benefit schemes. But the, the fundamental issue remains, as Rob Yu um, headlined his recent blog, how much risk is acceptable for pension promises. I think that that is still inadequately defined in the guidance that we have at the moment. Sarah, I imagine that you've worked with TPR on this guidance, even I know you have a close relationship with the regulators. Do you share the same opinion? Are you concerned about the risk or is this something that you are comfortable with? We think it's really important that ultimately a robust regulatory regime is introduced and the, the sooner that happens, the better. But as I said, in the meantime, we think that the regulator's guidance is a very helpful step forward and will help mitigate risks to us and to levy payers until that regulatory regime is forthcoming. And Ian, as I understand, the super funds will not be for all the schemes. So it will not prevent schemes for going into the PPF is if they're not well funded, if they're not able to achieve the minimum requirements of a super fund, they will still continue to go into the PPF. Well, yes, that's correct. It's, uh, it's merely an option which is prospectively 10 to 15 percent cheaper than buyouts. Um, and of course, that's the, the real fear expressed by the ABI that you know, super funds will appeal to schemes as buyout on the cheap. Another key question is how strong this gateway, I think if they call it, is going to be. The guidance is a little bit vague on that. It doesn't say very much. It just simply says, well, if there's a prospect of buyout in the next five years, then schemes should not be permitted to enter a super fund. Of course, insol corporate insolvency sometimes happens extremely suddenly, so there will be no time to consider such matters as options. Well, speaking of corporate insolvency, that brings us to our next topic, which is uh, due to COVID-19, there was this bill introduced by government on corporate insolvency. And the first reactions to the bill was that it had a lot of, it would cr could create a lot of problems to pension schemes, to trustees, inclusively to the PPF and to the pensions regulator. In the past week, there were several developments on this, with the most recent one being the government introducing several amendments to make sure that PPF and TPR would have a say in this. So I would ask you, Sarah, was this a welcome result of, I imagine you had discussions with the PPP about this? 
Absolutely. Um, we really support the intention of this bill. We understand the importance of viable employers to support ongoing pension schemes. And we recognise that there needed to be pace to deal with the current circumstances we find ourselves in. But we're really pleased that the risks to PPF and to pension scheme members have been substantially mitigated now. And that's a, a very good step forward. And I think it speaks to the fact that the PPF is now a respected part of the pensions landscape and able to uh, make important points at, at times like these. Ian, do you think that trustees can now rest at ease and government has listened to their demands and to their considerations in how they would be affected by the, the new bill? I hope so. It's a little bit disappointing really that such pressure had to be brought to bear but I suppose the pressures of the pandemic and the risks that we're running at the moment meant that there wasn't time to consult on this bill before the provisions were placed before Parliament. Clearly, schemes will have to rely upon uh, TPR um, to be on the ball and to respond uh, adequately when they're, they're notified because the company is now going to be obliged to notify TPR. And speaking of COVID, Sarah, PPF managed to do something that uh, some people might thought would be impossible, which was to join all regulatory entities to create a guide. Do you think that that was due to COVID or was that a result of the work you've been doing the last few years? I think we've all been working increasingly closely together because we all have the shared concern to protect members' interests. And that's clearly so important at the moment. It's really, as you say, the other side of the coin of the insolvency bill. We need to have protections in place for employers and we equally need to have good advice and protection available for members. And we were all really keen that members should understand those protections that are available to them, whatever sort of pension arrangement they may find themselves in. And for us at the PPF, we're really keen that the 10 million people who potentially stand to gain from our protection are aware of that protection and have confidence in our funding strategy and our investment strategy so that they believe that we'll be able to support them for as long as that support is needed. Thank you. And uh, at the end of our podcast, we have this section which we called Always a Pensions Angle, which is a story that's not really related to pensions, but at the end, it ends up having a pensions angle. And I'll leave it to you, Sarah, to tell us our story today. Well, um, I must say I had to scratch my brains on this one this week, but I love singing. Some people who follow me on Twitter may know I'm a member of Brighton Goes Gospel. We're a very enthusiastic choir and uh, even in lockdown, uh, singing is bringing me a great deal of pleasure. So I was really sorry to hear of the passing of Dame Vera Lynn who has brought a lot of pleasure to people for more than a century with her voice. And it rather brought to mind to me the fact that we can all potentially underestimate our life expectancy. She lived to the grand age of 103. Our oldest PPF member at the moment is 111. So um, it's an easy thing to do, not to remember quite how long uh, we may all be lucky enough to live. And in particular, I was reminded of a story from the time when I visited our kind of sister organization in America, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, which 
which was set up in the 1970s to look after pension scheme members when companies went bust. And at the time when I made my first visit there in 2003, they had a news story about the fact that the last beneficiary from the American Civil War had uh, just died in 2003. And I looked up my history before speaking to you this morning, and I can inform you that the American Civil War, if you didn't know already, ended in 1865. So that just shows quite how long pension scheme liabilities can run for. So always a pensions angle, as you say, Maria. (laughs) Definitely. That's a great story, Sarah. Thank you so much to you and Ian, and join us again in two weeks for our next Pensions Expert podcast. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.